Yes, watch those steps there. I've heard they can be rough. The uh, prayer, prayer is an amazing gift, you know, as, as Phil was praying. You know, it strikes me that God is hearing every single word that he says every time we pray. God hears every single word we say. It's, it's not a burden for us to pray. I've heard people say, oh, I don't want to bother God with this. You can't bother God with that. <clears throat> God couldn't love you more than he does, and he won't love you less than he does. And always take your prayers to the Lord, always, always listening. Well, <clears throat> we're going to look at the parable of the talents today. And this is in a series that Shane is doing. And um, last week, Kevin preached on, <clears throat> excuse me, the parable of the sower. I believe, is that right, Kevin? And this week, we're going to be in Matthew 25, parable of the talents. And there's a lot of uh, wondering about what talents are. Stepping off of a platform and missing a step, that's not, not a talent. <clears throat> By the way, they, they, they tell me that next Friday they'll look at this foot and see how it's doing, and then they'll make a decision from there. But they told me to plan on about six weeks of being laid up with this because it's a, it's a break. They were able to repair it nicely. looks real pretty in the picture. Three screws. So uh, that's that. <clears throat> Parable of the talents. Well, it's in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, but let's look at what a talent is before we begin. Uh, a talent <clears throat> was the largest currency that they had in the day of Jesus. So when he refers to a talent, he's talking about a big coin. It was anywhere from 60 to 75 pounds. So it was not pocket change. And you didn't slip these coins in your pocket and walk away, especially not five talents that he gives to the one guy because he might have crawled away but not walked away. It, it's equal to about 20 years' wages. So we're looking at anywhere anywhere from $25,000 on a very, very conservative measure by some to probably a far more accurate measure of 500000 half a million dollars for one of these coins. And they weren't necessarily as pretty as this. This is supposedly one of Herod's coins, what his coins looked like. But I saw one. When I was looking, and it looked like a, uh, just a cylinder. It had a hole in the middle, and it was really rough. But they're either gold or silver, and that was a talent. <clears throat> so just to give context, that's, that's what they are. <clears throat> so what's the context of the parable? Before you can understand any of these parables of Jesus, you have to understand context. So what leads up to the parable? And let me read to you a little bit from, from Matthew 23, because... Jesus comes to this after saying some of these things. Well, let me, I have it on the screen. The teachers of the law, or the scribes, as you've seen it in some translations, those are the scribes. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. He's talking about the Pharisees. He goes on to keep context. <clears throat> Excuse me. He goes on to keep the context 
to rebuke the scribes, saying, woe to you. Seven times he cries out seven woes. Let me, let me read just a little bit of this to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. What an indictment. This is against the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And he goes on to rebuke them seven times. Then he ends by saying, I have it on the screen. Well, let me read it here. Sorry, I'm going to be clearing my throat a lot because one of the medications I'm taking does something to my voice. At least I'm not talking like this. The last time in verse 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? He's really going after the scribes and Pharisees in this. This is not a calm discourse. This is not polite chat. Jesus is angry with them. That's what leads up to the parable of the virgins. That's what leads up to the parable of the talent. So just to put it in context, Now, let me echo one more thing. In verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you you who kill the prophets and stone those who send you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And let's remember that some of those Pharisees he's speaking to became believers. The Apostle Paul, for one. And the book of Acts records that there was a whole sect within the new church of Pharisees. So it's not that they were all shut out forever, but until they saw who he was and said, blessed is he, blessed is Jesus Christ, who is his Messiah, who is God's Messiah, then their eyes were opened. Then then they, they could see him. So, let me read the parable to you. It'll be on the screen. The kingdom of heaven is also like this. A man went away and put his three servants in charge of all he owned. The man knew each servant's strengths. So he handed five talents to the first servant, two to the second, and one talent to the third. Then he left the country. As soon as the man had gone, the servant with five talents used them to earn five more. The servant who had two talents did the same and earned two more. But the servant with one coin dug a hole and hid his master's coin in the ground. After a long time, the master came to those three servants and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came and brought five more, saying, Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Master, 
I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First of all, the master goes away, and you see in the first verse, he put his servants in, uh, verse 14, he put his three servants in charge of all he owned. This guy was rich. If, if, if our math is right, he gave the first servant $2.5 million. Now, if this guy could give away that much money, 2.5, 1 million, and half a million dollars, I mean, he drops $4 million to these people. Plus, he put them in charge of everything he had. So they had everything they needed already. But he gives them this extra gift besides. That's important to keep in context that they had everything they needed. And we're going to, I'm mentioning that because we're going to look later at, at an application for ourselves and the church. These people were without excuse. There was absolutely no reason, those that hid the money, that they shouldn't have done something. So who do these three uh, servants represent? Uh, I believe the good servants represent men and women throughout history who have been faithful to God. Abraham. Moses, Enoch, Elijah, all those who have gone before, people who took God's word, God's revelation, God's blessings, everything that God is and does and gives, and they made something out of it. They took their faith and they invested it in God. They proclaimed him, they died for him, they lived for him, they did everything for him. He had provided them and gave them abundance, and they did more, they made even more with what he gave them. But Jesus, in this parable, is talking, is rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes. That's what this is about. He's telling, he is continuing his attack, his rebuke of the scribes and Pharisees. They took the gifts of God, they took what God did, they took his word, and they perverted it. As Jesus said, you you shut the door of the kingdom. I won't even let people in. He's rebuking them. And that's, in large part, what this parable is about. Those who take God's word, those who take God's blessings, whether it's singing or, or craftsmanship or finances or time or compassion, whatever it is God's given you, the various graces of God that he gives as he wills, they took those and made something out of it. Because they loved God and because they loved others. It just became a part of who they were. But the scribes and the Pharisees, those who should have known, they took it and they perverted it. They hid it. We're going to look a little later at, at, at Peter, who was standing here when this happened, and he teaches on taking God's provision and doing something with it. 
but it says that they were unprofitable. This unprofitable servant. They were unprofitable because they knew the word. They knew the law. They could quote, if you were, if you were qualified to be a Pharisee, you could quote almost every scripture. You knew it, and you knew it, and you knew it, and you could say it. But they did nothing with it. It, it, it didn't lead them to a knowledge of God. These other people who were blessed had a knowledge of God. And if you, if you uh, have your Bibles, or whether you don't, just make a note. Look again at this group of people in Hebrews chapter 11, the role of faith. You know, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham. It's taking your faith and doing something with it. And you're doing something with it because God has given gracefully and generously, abundantly. It's an abundant provision from God, never lacking. By faith Abraham, three times. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Very important for us to consider. And there's a whole list that we can consider in that, in that passage. <clears throat> so just, just to take that part and understand, again, Jesus is talking about those men and women who were good. Well, how can we apply this parable to ourselves? Uh, any, of you, any of you consider yourselves scribes? Teachers of the law, Pharisees, anybody here? They kind of don't exist anymore, so it would be really hard for you to be one. There are, some, there are some out there who are trying hard to be scribes and Pharisees again, but uh, they're not doing any better than these boys back in the uh, Old Testament times, in Jesus' time. <clears throat> so how do we apply this parable to ourselves? Well, let's look at Second Peter chapter 1. Verses 2 through 3. This is uh, directly from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, because I like the word multiplied that they use. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Very important. Grace and peace be multiplied through the knowledge of God, not knowledge about God, knowledge of God, who he is, what he's doing, what his purposes are. That's what grows. That's what multiplies grace and peace to you. If you know that God loves you deeply and you're facing a trial, that brings peace to you. And if you know him and you know, and you know, and you know him, you'll have more peace. And if you know him, and know him, and know him, better and better and better, you'll have more grace in that time. And it's just an aspect of knowing him. When he's revealed, grace is immediately delivered, the scriptures say to you. The grace that is given when Christ appears. And, and it's hard to know whether that, that particular passage means at his end appearing or whenever we perceive him. Clearly, when he is revealed at the end time, when he comes back, we're going to have a really excellent grace that comes on us called the resurrection. But in the meantime, every time we see or hear from him, grace is delivered to us from God through the Holy Spirit. 
instantaneous. <clears throat> so note, grace and peace may be multiplied. It's not static. It's increased by knowing God. God has given us everything needed. You don't lack anything. You don't lack anything, anything that you need for life and godliness. You may, you may need a new guitar. Uh, did I say, <laughs> Freudian slip, I was going to say, you may need a new guitar. You may need a new car. You may need new shoes. You may need, that's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about everything you need for a God life and a life that reflects and magnifies God. You have everything you need for that. You lack nothing. But you access it and grow those things in knowing God. And you can't simply do it by memorizing facts about him. You can do it by reading about him, hearing from him, and saying, let me know you better. Let me know you better. Let me know you better. The Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He prays for the Ephesian believers. I keep asking, this was part of the prayer this morning that Kevin read, uh, or the scripture Kevin read. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It's God's desire to reveal himself to you and for you to know him better. And in that knowledge, we have grace and peace multiplied. Just knowing him. Extraordinarily important. As, as you pray in the mornings, as you do your devotional time, as you sit here listening to a sermon, as you listen at home, as you read your Bible, Make it a constant prayer. Lord, reveal yourself to me, please. I pray that for you when I don't know what else to pray for you. I say, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them in some special way? Would you reveal yourself to Rosie? Would you reveal yourself to Renee? Would you reveal yourself to Keith? Reveal yourself. Make yourself known in some special way because that's going to increase grace to you. It's going to increase peace to you. And in the process... It will increase your ability to give grace to others, which you're also designed to do. And it will make you a peacemaker, someone who can bring peace to a situation. And how many of you have been in situations that desperately need some peace from God? Very important. What else does Peter say that reflects the nature of the parable of the talents? So let's, let's look at uh, 2 Peter verses. Uh, five, uh, chapter 1, 5 through 8. For this very reason, <clears throat> make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, and there's that thought again, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Pharisees and scribes were unproductive. Can you go back to that slide, Tracy? Just so I can remember. I thought I put it down here, but I... Uh, oh, there it is. Sorry. I also had eye surgery a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not seeing through this eye as well as I need to yet. Uh, Doctor says, don't worry, Mr. Hefner. You will be fine. Okay. <clears throat> the Pharisees and the scribes 
were unproductive in their knowledge. But we can be effective and productive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The danger is, if we don't add to our faith, because that's where it all begins, if we don't add to our faith goodness and to our goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, if we don't grow in those things, we will be ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is extraordinarily important. And that picture in the Greek that, that's built by Peter is a picture of adding to your faith goodness and then adding through faith and goodness knowledge and then adding faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control and then faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. It's not, you never escape faith. It's always the beginning. It's always the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of godliness. And later in the list, it's the beginning of, of brotherly kindness. It's the beginning of love. Faith and love are, cannot be disconnected. So these build on each other, and they grow. And every time, it's not that you never reach the end. Every, I know people here who don't consider themselves mature, who love in very mature ways and who are godly, but they yet are going to say exercise faith to grow more in goodness. And this word goodness is not merely moral excellence. It's, it's a stability. It has to do with a, a, a vitality in who you are. You're strong in goodness. It's not merely that you're good. You're strong in it. And every person who begins their Christian walk has a consciousness of right and wrong. So the minute you're saved, you can say, I'm going to do this. That's a good thing. You can start right away. But you add knowledge because you want to find out more about what's good. And you want to find out more about who God is. So God has gifted. Now the next slide, Tracy. Thanks. God has gifted each one of his children. Every one of you has a gift, a special gift. In addition to all the housing, okay, in addition to being in charge or an heir of all that God has given you, everything you need for life and godliness, he's given you each special gifts too. So on top of everything else, you have these talents or gifts from God. The gift encompasses abundant grace. Just as with the talents, though, we must invest. You have to invest yourselves or frustration will follow. If you don't do something, you'll end up frustrated. In the place of wailing and gnashing teeth, some of those, fr- some of those Pharisees were frustrated. The, the, the idea of, of wailing and gnashing of teeth has to do with uh, that isn't necessarily hell, although Jesus says, who's going to keep you from going to hell? How are you going to keep from going to hell? That's a question that he poses. But that wailing, gnashing of teeth, theologians are, are a little undecided, and, and uh, I'm not a theologian. I just read my Bible, but... The notion that that's, they're not necessarily cast out into hell, that servant that Jesus talks about, but they're cast out, and they've lost. Some of those guys came back. We've got to remember that. They came back. They, they beheld and said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they came back into this. But work is needed to be productive in Christ. We can squander, though we're not scribes or Pharisees, we can squander the grace of God and live fruitless lives. And that would be a tragedy. When fully equipped to do what God has called us to do, it would be a shame to end our lives and not have anything to show for it. 
And money doesn't count. I mean, I, I can't end my life and say, excellent, I earned $2.5 million more because that's not what the parable is about. That's not going to count. It's going to count about taking God's grace and multiplying it by knowing him. And then in knowing him, imitating him. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. There's that imitation that draws us closer and closer to the knowledge of him. So how do we do this? Well, Peter tells us, and I'm reiterating, add to your faith. And in that, adding to your faith, know God deeply loves you. God really deeply, deeply loves each one of you. He knows you. He cares about you. He thinks about you. He never stops thinking about you. You are foremost in his mind, and because God is omnipotent, because he is omniscient, because he is not us, he can be thinking about all of you at the same time in the same forward of his mind fashion, and it doesn't confuse him. And that's what he's doing. He's thinking about you all the time. He's thinking about how to bless you. He's thinking about how to correct your course so you get back in the right place. He's thinking about how to bless you in such a way that you will extend grace to others. That's his, that's his MO. Know that he's richly provided. Know that God gives without judging. You are not judged. You are not judged. You are not judged. You have been freed from condemnation. So if God is bringing something to your life, it's not to punish you. It's to correct your course. That's all. God is not judging you. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe the Bible, then you must believe that. He's not condemning you. He's not judging you. He's going to give without judging. And know that God wants you to be productive and effective in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his goal. That's all I have to say. Let's pray. There is no blessing like your blessing, Lord. Without you, there is no grace. Without you, there is no hope. Without you, there is no life. Help us to hear you. Help us to see you. Reveal yourself to us. Let us know you. In the knowing of you, help us to walk with you. Help us to adore you to magnify you by our words and our works. Thank you, Lord, for the riches of your grace. We praise you. As we move into this time of communion, Lord, help us to see you not only as a crucified Savior, but as a risen Savior who's living for us, interceding for us. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together and sing as uh, the men would come forward to